by uh, having a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into some thoughts from there. So uh, let me ask Brother Craig if you would ask God's blessing what we're going to learn this morning. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, look, look, if you would, at John, and I want you to understand that John starts different, the, the very first verse, than any other gospel. All right. Go to, go to Matthew real quickly. Go to Matthew chapter number one. Matthew chapter number one. And what you're going to find out is that um, the scholars, and I, I'll put that in air quotes, uh, because really it just matters at w- which scholar you're referring to, I guess. Uh, but a lot of, I'll say this, a lot of scholars have trouble with the idea, come on, there we go, uh, with the idea that John is divinely inspired. They have a problem with John, and John's such a nice guy. Why would you have a problem with John, right? Uh, the reason they have a problem with John is because John is so completely different than the other Gospels. And you see that right from the very beginning. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. What does Matthew start off with? Uh, a genealogy. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Look at at the gospel of Mark. Go to Mark. Mark chapter number one. You're going to see that that John is so wildly different than the other gospels. Look at Mark chapter one, verse number one. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written in the prophets. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face which shall prepare thy way before thee. Talking about John the Baptist, and it goes right into uh, the uh, ministry of Jesus Christ. Look at Luke, Luke chapter number one. Now, all the gospels have things that they vary in and things that they have in common. Um, And the more you dig into your Bible, the more you learn the gospels don't contradict, they complement each other. However, however, uh, you're going to see so far that there's going to be a real, real different pattern with the way John starts than the other Gospels. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse number 1. You can tell that Luke is written by a doctor. You know why? For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most certainly believed among us. Holy cow, this is an educated guy. Can you tell? All right. Uh, Matthew's a tax collector. You know, John Mark is the guy that ran off uh, in Acts and left Paul and Barnabas high and dry, and Barnabas had to restore him later on. Uh, Luke is a doctor, but look at John. John's a fisherman, so why does John start the way that he does? John starts the way that he does because every one of these Gospels is going to present to you a, a different side to the person of Jesus Christ. It is not a different God. It is not a different Jesus, but rather a different side. Let's be honest. There are even as individual people in this room. Uh, listen, you might be a, a, a person in business, but you might also be a mom. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean you're a different and you shouldn't be a different person, but there are different facets to who you are. And so when Jesus Christ came, there were different facets of his fulfilling of prophecy from the Old Testament. And so each gospel presents him in kind of a different light. Uh, Matthew presents him as the king. That's why the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, and for those who are in discipleship on the Zoom class, this is going to sound very familiar to you, all right? Uh, Matthew uh, presents us the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, 33 times, all right? The only gospel where you find the phrase, kingdom of heaven, is in the gospel of Matthew. Ten times the phrase, son of David, is found in Matthew, more than any other gospel. You say, "Why why is that significant in any way, shape, or form? When you say Jesus Christ is the son of David, you are connecting him to royalty, 
you are connecting him to the throne of David. And by the way, there was a covenant that God made with David. And he said, listen, there would always be a man uh, uh, forevermore that would sit on the throne reigning over my people that would come from your seed. That was a covenant God made with David. It's fulfilled through Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, uh, The word king shows up 19 times in the gospel of Matthew, which is more than any other gospel. But I want you to look at something else. Look at Matthew chapter number one. Matthew chapter number one. And I I want you to see how the lineage uh, starts off here. Matthew chapter number one. And and what, what what is very, very clear is that someone wants you to understand that Jesus Christ is in fact the king, not just the king, but the king of Israel. All right, look at uh, Matthew chapter 1 and look at verse number 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. You say, who are these people that are mentioned in verses 1 and 2? These are the patriarchs. When you read, hold your hand there and go to Romans chapter number 11. All right, this is Bible study, so get ready to flip and hopefully take some notes as well along the way. Uh, Romans 11, look if you would at verse, uh, let's see here, verse 28. All right, this is Paul, who is a Jew, an Israelite, uh, speaking to, uh, about his own people uh, to the Roman church, the church in Rome. Look, if you would, at verse 28. Uh, when I say Roman church, I don't mean Roman Catholic church. Let's be very clear about that. The church that's in Rome is concerning the gospel, verse 28. They are enemies for your sakes. Talking about Israel. All right, who was it that stoned him? It was his own people. Who was it that, that he was running from in persecution? His own people. All right, but look, at, look what he says here. But as touching the election... All right, being God's chosen people, all right, they are beloved for the fathers. That's a possessive plural, all right. It doesn't. It's not father apostrophe s, as in God the Father. It's the fathers, all right. Uh, it's almost like saying the people's sake, all right. It's plural, and so who are those fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right, so go back to Matthew, and what I want you to see is this. Look at Matthew chapter 1 in verse number 2, or verse number 1, rather. Who is Jesus Christ's genealogy connected with? There are two people named there, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Now, there's a lot of other people he's connected with as being the son of, but, but he highlights in verse number 1 of Matthew chapter 1 those two people. Why is that? Because he's trying to impress upon your mind, listen, he's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise, all right, as well as the Davidic promise. And he would be the king of Israel, all right? That's different than how the gospel of John starts. Look at, Matt, uh, look at Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, and I want you to notice something about how Mark starts. Mark does not have a genealogy. Matthew has a genealogy. Luke has a genealogy. Mark does not have a genealogy. Now, again, if, if you are someone that's looking for a problem in the Bible, uh, I can give you lots of problems with it, all right? Because if you don't have the right mindset or the right heart when you approach the Word of God, you go, well, that's contradictory. No, it's not. Look, guys, if, if I took eyewitness accounts of what happened today at church, do you know what some people would point out? Some people would point out that Jameis and Ethan had the same suit on. And no one planned that. They did not call you. Are you going to wear the purple shirt? Oh, that'd be so fun. Like, they didn't do that, right? And, and, and so some would point that out. Some would point out what someone is wearing, all right? Some would point out, where's Jose and Ashley? What, boss baby is here, and that kid looks like a 40-year-old and the baby's but He's, like, ready to take on business, man. Anytime I see that kid in a suit, I'm like, let's strike a deal. <laughs> I, 
I mean, I mean, there are different things that if you were to point out, someone would point out, man, Sarah did a great job with the coffee. Uh, someone would, and there's different things you would find. And none of those things would contradict from each other. They'd be different things that took place during your church service when you're gathered together. All right. And, and so what I want you to understand is that the gospels are the same way. Now, what, what the scholars do, they call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptic gospels. And they kind of put them as, as ones that kind of go together. And they go, John, you're the black sheep of the gospels. You go over here. And mainly what that boils down to is we, don't under, we can't reconcile why it is that John is so different. It's not that complicated. All right, look at Mark. Look, if you would, at verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4. Can I ask you a question? Is there any genealogy there? All right, you, you, here, here's the deal. Mark presents Jesus Christ as a servant. All right, look at uh, uh, Philippians. Go to Philippians real quickly. Philippians. Philippians chapter number 2, look if you would at verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. You know where a lot of your trouble comes from in the Christian life? It's what you think about. Can I get a witness on that? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. All right, we're going to see later on in, in John, I believe it's chapter 5, uh, maybe it's chapter, I think it's chapter 5, we're going to go through some verses where clearly the leadership in, in, in the nation of Israel had a problem with Jesus Christ making himself equal with God. All right, but the Bible presents to us that he is, in fact, God. And though he is, so he said he made himself equal with God, but I want you to look at the next verse. Who, uh, but made himself of no reputation. There's the Gospel of Mark. Matthew, I'm the king. Luke, I'm connected with being part of humanity. You know what I am in Mark? I'm just a servant. I'm just here to serve. You know what? No one cares about a servant's genealogy. When's the last time you saw in, in Time or Life magazine a genealogy of servants? They're always talking about royalty and famous people. Am I right about that? The servants are people you don't care about. And you know what Jesus Christ made himself? He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a what? Servant. All right? And was made in the likeness of men. So go back to Mark. And I want you to see that in Mark there's no genealogy. Why? Because he's just a servant. All right. Now I say that uh, very carefully, and I understand what I'm saying when I say he's just a servant. I don't want. I'm not trying to sound blasphemous in saying that. But the Gospel of Mark presents to us the man Jesus Christ as a servant. All right. And so there's no genealogy. Now, now look at Luke chapter number one. And of course, we started off with Luke. I told you to go back to Mark, didn't I? Yeah. I go back to Luke. I told you to be flipping around a lot. There you go. All right. I look at Luke, if you would. And you say, what happens in Luke? Well, the doctor starts off uh, talking about this great treatise, and he's writing this to, in verse 3 to a man named Theophilus. All right, verse 4, thou mayest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. And he's going to give a historical account of what leads up to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the fact that Luke presents to us more detail about his birth and his agony as a man than any other gospel. Uh, you're not going to read about as much detail about the birth of Jesus Christ as you will in the gospel of Luke. Uh, yes, there is some mention of it in, in Matthew, but what you have is you've got some skipping of time, and you've got going from his birth to when he's a young child, right, when the wise men show up, 
All right, in Luke, you've got detail about his birth, where he's born, how he's born. You've got detail about how eight days later they show up in the temple with the young child, with the, with the baby, to have him circumcised. Then you have, in the same chapter, mention of when he's 12 years old. You don't get that in any of the gospel. All right, you say, why? It's showing you more about his childhood, his humanity. Uh, look at Luke chapter number 22. And Luke is written, again, Luke is a doctor. He's called the beloved physician by Paul. So uh, there's something else that you read about in Luke that you won't find in any other gospel as it relates to the agony, the physical trauma, the physiological response to what Jesus Christ was going through when he was thinking about taking on your sin in his own body. Look at Luke chapter 22. Aren't you glad that he did? Look at Luke 22 and look at verse uh, number, oh, let's see here. That's not the right reference. Luke 22, 24, do not turn there. Uh, It is... Luke 22, uh, verse, maybe is it 44? Yeah, there you go, 44, misprint there. Uh, Look down if you would at, well, go back to verse 42. Saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Talking about the cup of death, right? That he would drink the, the wrath of God on sin. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down on the ground. You say, why do you find that in Luke? Well, you know what Luke is? Luke's a doctor. So you know what Luke does? He presents to us some things that the other writers don't. And so what you're seeing in the Gospel of Luke is a little bit more about the humanity of Jesus Christ. All right? Having said all of that, uh, and again, the, the phrase, you'll see this up here as well if you're taking notes, a certain man, that shows up more so in Luke than in any other gospel, all right? Again, trying to point us to the humanity of Jesus Christ. Uh, go back to Luke chapter number three. Luke chapter three, when it, I told you there's a genealogy in Matthew, there's a genealogy in Luke. Uh, and uh, there is none in Mark because he's a servant. There's none in John, and we're gonna explain why that is in John as well. Luke chapter three, uh, and I'm gonna skip down to the very, very end of this genealogy. Because uh, it goes kind of, uh, Matthew and Luke kind of go uh, from reverse orders, if you will. Uh, look at uh, Luke 3 and verse number 38, which was the son of Enos, that's Enoch, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. So do you know what Adam, and by the way, when it calls Adam the son of God, it's very similar all right, to what you read about in Acts 17 when it says we are the offspring of God because in the sense of being a son of God, in the physical sense of creation, that does apply to people. In the spiritual sense, you're not a son of God until you're born again, John chapter 1, verse 12. All right? But look at Luke 3.38. It connects Jesus to Adam, right? You say, why? It's, did you notice it didn't do that over with uh, the genealogy in Matthew? Did you notice that? It connects him to Abraham, and then from Abraham down to David, and so on and so forth. Here, it's Adam. Why is that? It's trying to show you that Jesus Christ, hear me out, was all God and all man. We call that the mystery of godliness, all right? And what, again, what I want you to understand is a little bit about these Gospels and how some of the Gospels uh, are going to present different things in them than what you're going to find in, uh, oh, there we go. Uh, I got to get this thing right. I don't know what it, there's heads in the way. I'm not sure, but we're going to get it, all right? Uh, but, but John, again, presents some things to us that the other Gospels don't. That doesn't mean that you throw John aside. And that doesn't mean just because scholars don't agree 
on, on, on John being accurate because they, pres- because they say it's not accurate because John presents some things that are not found in the other Gospels at all. Well, guys, why would that be a matter of accuracy as much as a matter of what God wants the author to show us versus what he wanted the other authors to show us? All right. Here's what you have to come down to at the end of the day. Here's what you have to believe. All right. Because people have asked me about the book of Enoch and this book and that book. And, you know, if you if you watch a history channel for any amount of time, they're always talking about some hidden book of the Bible. And it's funny. Some Christians spend more time looking for the hidden books than they do. They are reading the ones that God gave them. All right. Uh, and, and what I would say is this. Study the ones God gave you before we ever go looking for hidden ones. And what that is, it's a desire to always know about hidden things. And let me just say this, guys. There were books that were written around the same time as the Gospels in your Bible were written that God just chose not to put in the Bible, that God chose not to inspire, right? It doesn't mean that they're all fakes. It doesn't mean that they're all wicked, all right? Now, there's going to be some things in some of those hidden books that contradict the Bible for sure, but there's other, other things that were written at that time that are not necessarily evil, but God chose not to put them. And at the end of the day, here's what you have to do. You have to believe that God was powerful enough to speak the world into existence and to take the words that he wanted you to have in 2022 and put them in your lap. Either he could or he couldn't do that. Either he's powerful enough to do that or he's not. But the issue is not that, that John presents to us these other things and therefore John can't be trusted. Listen, God gave those things to John. Let, let me, let's go another step. Let's go a step further. Uh, John writes about the, the tribulation in detail like no other gospel writer does. He writes an entire book about it called the book of Revelation. You guys remember that? Last book in your Bible? Does that mean we should throw Revelation out because the other authors of the Gospels didn't attest to the things? No, not at all. There was special revelation that John got. Uh, Look at John 13. John 13. And I might be getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I want you to see something. John got some special revelation that none of the other disciples got on more than one occasion. Uh, Look at John 13. And we'll be in John 13 this morning. Uh, for our morning message, but look at John 13, and look, if you would, at, uh, let's see here, uh, verse 24, Simon Peter, therefore, beckoned to him, uh, actually, go back to verse 23, uh, go back to verse 22, there you go, then the disciples, keep going, we'll eventually find it, then the disciples looked one another, doubting of whom he spake, he's talking about someone's going to betray him, right, now, there was leaning on Jesus's bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, now, if you don't know who that is, we'll explain who that is. I'm a little spoiler alert. It's John, okay? I'll come back and explain that later, but it's John, all right? Simon Peter, therefore, beckoned to him. Simon goes, I know how to get some information out of Jesus. I'll go, I'll go to the guy that's closest to him. You ever done that before as, as a human being? You go to someone, you, you know, you, you're kind of scared to go to that person, but you're going to go to this person because they talk to that person. So you go, hey, so what about this? Anybody here ever done that before? Yeah, no, no, I never... Well, well, Peter did, all right? And so Peter goes, and he talks to John. Look, if you would, at verse number uh, 25. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, talking about John, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Now, the other gospel writers uh, mention that the disciples began to talk among themselves, saying, Lord, is it I? Remember that? John doesn't say, Lord, is it I? He says, Lord, who is it? You say, why? Because his fellowship with Jesus was that close. Let me just say this, in the last days, which is where you're at right now, in the last days, when your fellowship is that close with Jesus Christ, you know what you can learn to do when the rest of the church is falling away into apostasy? 
You can say, Lord, I want to stay close to you. I don't want to fall away. Lord, I want to lean on your breast. Lord, I want to hear the heartbeat of God. You can do that if you want to. What a lot of people do is they go, well, we're in the last days, and, you know, I was under pressure, and I was stressed, and therefore I, bam. No, 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 no. You chose to do what you did. Amen. Amen. You chose to do what you did, and part of the reason you chose to do it is because you were out of fellowship with God. And so John is so close in fellowship, he doesn't say, Lord, is it I? He says, Lord, who is it? And then look at this. Jesus answered. Now, question. The simple question. When Jesus is talking in verse 26, is he talking to the whole group or to one guy? According to the context, who asked him the question? All right. And John gets some revelation that the rest of the disciples don't get. Look at verse 26. Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop. That's taking the bread and dipping it in the soup and then passing it on. All right. When I have dipped it, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest too quickly. Now watch this. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto them. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, and Jesus had said one thing, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then having received the sop went immediately out, and it was night. You know why the disciples had no idea? Because the Lord didn't tell the whole group. You know who he told that message to? John. You know why? Because John was the one that was right there in close fellowship with him. And John says, Lord, who is it? And Jesus tells him, hey, man, whoever I'm about to pass this, this bread to, watch out. So you know what John gets? John gets special revelation that the other disciples don't get. And that's not the only time it happens. Look at Revelation chapter number 4. Here's John. He's a fisherman. He's not a scholar by the world's standards. He's not a theologian by the world's standards. He, you'd, even not, you'd, not, you'd not even say this guy was a great student of the Old Testament law by the world's standards. Uh, he's a fisherman. Now, he was trained up in, in the Jewish faith, all right? But, and he, that was the faith of his fathers. But, but by the world's standards at that time, you know what John was? He was an uneducated man. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, you know what John is called? Unlearned and ignorant. That's what the disciples, uh, the, those, those fishermen were called. All right. But look at Revelation. That just goes to show you it's not just about your education as much. Listen, God is not an object of education. He's a matter of revelation. And if you have the right heart, God will reveal more truth to you. And when you respond to that truth, God will show you more truth. All right. It's not just a matter of intellect is what I'm trying to get. Now, listen, there are some people that are blessed with a great intellect. You take that intellect and you have a sincere, tender heart toward God. Man, God can bless that like nothing else. And there are some rare examples of that throughout Christianity. Nothing wrong with that. But I'll just say this. Your intellect enough is not enough to know God. It's a spiritual matter. They that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Look at Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. You say, uh, who is this that's writing this book? Uh, look at ver- uh, go back to chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Unto who? To show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. God has a sense of humor, don't you think? Which must shortly come to pass. It was 2,000 years, it was written, uh, uh, 2,000 years ago this was written. All right? And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant who? John. Look at Revelation chapter number uh, uh, 1, verse number 4. Revelation 1, verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. So it's clearly John who's writing this. Look at Revelation chapter 4 now in light of that. So when you read in Revelation 4 verse 1, after this, I looked. Who's I? It's John. John was given this revelation. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. 
And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, great picture of the rapture. And I will, by the way, there's no mention of the church after chapter four. Uh, great and note to take there as well. Come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Who got that? Mark, Mark didn't get it. Luke didn't get it. Matthew didn't get it. John got it. Now, this is not to say that John is more important than the other disciples. That's not my point. My point is, if a scholar were to go, well, we can't accept this account of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it doesn't match the others, I would make the argument, look, guys, this is the same guy that God took up to the, uh, and re- revealed things, and in the Spirit, he was caught up and saw things which must be hereafter. If God chose to do that with him, then let God be God and accept the Bible as it is, all right? Uh, so go back to John, if you would. Uh, actually, no, you know what? Sorry. Go to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Um, I want to show you something real quick. Second Peter chapter 1. I know some of you have this verse memorized. Uh, you've heard it before a million times. That's good. But I, I want you to see this again because you either have to believe that the words of God were inspired by God and given to authors. Yes, when we talk about the authorship of the gospel of John, we're talking about the human author. But never forget, never negate the fact that there's a human author, but there's also the divine author. And without the divine author, the human author is kind of just a waste of time. I'll just be honest with you. It would not belong in your Bible if it's just a, 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 a book written by a man. All right? People say, all the, isn't that the claim when you go out in the world and give the gospel? Well, the Bible is written by men. Yeah. Isn't that what they say all the time? And you have to be honest and say, yes, it is. However, if it was only written by men of their own intellect, without the influence and inspiration of God, then I would take exactly the same position that you take. I wouldn't believe a word of it. But can I challenge you and can I ask you, why is it that God prophesies about the kingdom of Greece before there's a kingdom of Greece? Why is it God prophesies in the book of Daniel about the splitting up of the kingdom of Greece before there even was a kingdom of Greece and tells you about the sons of Alexander and how the kingdoms would be split up? Why is it that God tells us things that happened before they happened? And why is it there was a man named Jesus Christ that went in the ground and three days later he rose from the dead and historians write about that life and this book is like no other because of that? Can you answer that for me, please? It's not just written by men. It's written by men, yes, but those are the human authors. But God is the one that divinely inspired it. So you're looking at a book, one of the greatest books in all of the world, written by a fisherman. Think about that. That's God's, that, that is God's sense of humor on humanity. Now, look at 2 Peter chapter 1 and look, if you would, at verse... Uh, by the way, do you know what I, I found out? When you study the Bible, you're going to find this out. There's not one book in your Bible... That you, you could make the argument, the argument that Paul is an intellectual in a sense. The difference between the intellectual that I'm talking about, there are two kinds of intellectuals. There's a, a carnal one and a spiritual one. All right? The carnal intellectual sits behind a desk, never reaches out to anyone about Jesus Christ, doesn't preach the gospel, and all they do is con- uh, talk about conjectures and ideas and how scholars, this scholar says this and this scholar says that, and they speak with no authority. They don't talk like Jesus Christ because when Jesus spoke, he spoke and said, thus saith the Lord, this is what the scriptures say, and he spoke as one that had authority, and that rubbed the scribes and the Pharisees the wrong way. Remember that? There's that kind of intellectual, and then there's the spiritual one. You can make the argument that Paul was an intellectual but he was spirit-led, and he was doing something with the intellect that he had from God. So with the exception of Paul, do you know what you have? You've got books that are written by men that, for the most part, are uneducated. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't get an education. That just means to show you that I'm just saying, I'm pointing out to simply to say this. God is not just a matter of your intellect, all right? Uh, matter of fact, Romans 1 presents to us very clearly that people can be intellectual and be very depraved. 
All right, look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Look, if you would, at verse number 19. Now, the world's going to kind of tell you all the time that uh, you're a Bible thumper and therefore you're uneducated and you don't know anything and so on and so forth. And I'm trying to point out to you that, listen, in God's eyes, all right, the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. All right, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as into a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. I cannot tell you how many times I've read a verse to someone, and they go, that's your interpretation. I said, I didn't interpret anything. I read it. You don't like what you're hearing, but that's not my fault. All right, now look at verse 21. For the prophecy came out in old time by the will of man. This is not just man of his own volition writing these words. You have to get a hold of that. Because if it was, it doesn't belong in your Bible. It is not scripture. If it's just written by man with no divine influence. All right, verse 21. The prophecy came out in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by what? God inspired these words. No, listen to me, guys. When you were lost without Jesus Christ, you know what you were? You had the body. Your soul was there, but your spirit was dead. And what God does, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says he comes in and it's, it's called the washing of regeneration. All right, a, rege- a generation is the, the, the telling of someone's uh, 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 history, if you will, uh, their life, if you will. That's where Genesis comes from, the beginning of life. All right, genes, Genesis, generation, regeneration is giving life again. Why would you need regeneration? Because in Ephesians, it says your spirit was dead in trespasses and sins. Before you were saved, you know what you were? You were kind of like a shell walking around. Now you had your soul. Don't misunderstand me. The real you was still in there. But there was something that was just dead inside of you. And until which time you got saved, the Holy Spirit comes inside and brings and breathes new life in you. Until then, you know what you are? Spiritually, you're dead to God. And God's dead to you. That's why 1 Corinthians 2 says what it says about not understanding the things of God. All right? So you know what happens with a book? A book is just a book written by men until God brings his life into it. And so what you have to understand is that that you're reading right here that God divinely inspired the words and preserved them for us in a way that we could have them today. Uh, Look at 1 Corinthians real quickly with me, though. Going back to the thought we had just earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I like... I like hearing people that can eloquently frame things, um, even if I don't always agree with them. Uh, anybody, I'm not advocating this from a spiritual standpoint, so if, please be, be mindful of what I'm saying. I'm not saying this guy's going to spiritually enlighten you, but I enjoy listening to a person named Dr. Jordan Peterson talk, mainly because of how he frames his words. He's very articulate and very careful. I, I think there's something you can glean out of that, and the way you glean more of that is by actually reading books, which a lot of our generation doesn't want to do. Reading is a good thing. Having said all of that, that in and of itself is not enough to know God. All right, First Corinthians chapter 1, look if you would at verse uh, number 18. You know what you look like when you go out in the street and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ? You look like a fool. And you are in the world's eyes. All right? And generally, here's how it has to go. Either you have to be willing to be a fool right now or be a fool at the judgment seat of Christ. So pick your poison, Christian. Uh, but you're going to be a fool to somebody, right? Look at verse number uh, 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, listen to this, the world by wisdom knew not God. You know why? Because their wisdom is different than God's wisdom. James uh, presents that to us. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Look down if you would at verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. You believe that? Amen. You either do or you don't. Uh, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your, your calling, brethren. You wanna, every, people say, I'm just, I don't know what my calling is. It's right here. You ready? Here's your calling. You may not like it, but here it is. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Here's what we are. We are called, look at verse 27. God chosen the foolish things. Who wants to be foolish? Right? And God chosen the weak things. I don't want to be weak. Verse 28. God and the base things of this world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. What I'm trying to get across to you today is, is this. Uh, do not walk out of here and say, Pastor Adrian said, I don't need to get an education. Look, if you are uh, looking at the college years in front of you and God uh, wants you to go to school for four more years, you ought to do that. And you ought to work the hardest in your class for the testimony, the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Having said all of that, I want you to understand, knowing God is not a matter of just intellect. Knowing God is a spiritual matter. And it goes back to a matter of humility. You know what God says? I will reveal myself to those that tremble at my words. When you get in that book, you go, God, am I, am I reading this right? Am I, am I handling this right? Am I responding to this right? Or is it just like, there it is. I don't know if I believe that. Well, you're not trembling at his words. And you're going to miss out on what God, listen, John's a fisherman. And again, by the world's standards, he's the last guy that you would ever expect to be the one that God goes, I want to pick you to show things that haven't, that haven't happened yet, that aren't going to happen for 2,000 more years. I want to choose you to do that. That is just, that's mind-blowing. You know what that shows you? The wisdom of this world is foolishness in the eyes of God. And the wisdom of God is foolishness to men. And that's how God works, all right? Uh, let, let me say this. Uh, look at, at Matthew chapter 4. I want to just show you a little bit about the calling of John. Again, he's a commercial fisherman associated with three other fishermen. His brother James, uh, his brother, uh, James. it was James and John. They're called the uh, uh, Boadrones, the sons of thunder by Jesus Christ. And they got that pretty nickname from calling fire, wanting to call fire down from heaven with people that uh, rejected them. Um, and it, you know what the Lord tells them in that moment, that passage of scriptures? He goes, you know not what manner of spirit you're of. Uh, and, and just to show you that good people inspired by God to do great things and no great things aren't perfect. You know what John, John and James thought? Well, they're rejecting us. Lord, do you want to wipe them out right now? And the Lord's like, are you out of your mind? Like, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's, counter, that's counterproductive to my mission, right? Now, now if they had said that 2,000 years later, it'd be all right with God. You know why? The timing's everything with the Lord. When he comes back, you know, he's, the first thing he's going to do when he comes back, I'm not talking about the rapture, I'm talking about the second coming. When he comes back to establish his kingdom on the earth, you know what he does? First thing he does is he wipes out an entire army of millions, hundreds of millions of people. So, so James and John had it right, but they were in the wrong timing. So the Lord looks at them and says, you guys got it wrong. Now, now you ever been around commercial fishermen or Navy men? Ever heard the, the, the saying, cuss like a sailor? Do you know where it comes from? All right? Fishermen are not exactly choir boys. All right? They're not altar boys. They're rough. 
And so uh, Jesus Christ, when he's picking his uh, disciples, four of them happen to be fishermen. That ought to tell you something. The Lord didn't mind hanging out with tradespeople. He didn't mind hanging out with blue-collar people. He didn't care what the intellects talked about. He didn't care what they had to say about it. Uh, I mean, what a ragtag bunch. Fishermen, tax collectors, I mean, businessmen. I mean, you know, I mean, there's all these different backgrounds. And then you got Luke later on. He's not an apostle necessarily, but one that follows Jesus Christ. He's a doctor. What an amazing consortium of people. Look around right now. Look around the room. Would you not say it's the same? Kind of an interesting mix of people. Let's be, can you smile at yourself a little bit and laugh about that? Because we're not all exactly the same. And that's how God designed it. All right, but look at Matthew chapter number four. Matthew chapter four. And sometimes I wish I had a mirror up here so you guys could see your faces when I say things. Uh, Matthew chapter four. Look, if you would, at verse number 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw their two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. And by the way, there's more than one encounter that Jesus Christ has with these particular disciples. You learn that from other Gospels. Uh, but this is the, the last encounter here. Look if you were to verse 21, or the uh, first encounter rather. And going on from thence, he saw their two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in a, ship, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Now let me just give you a little nugget for you. If you're not paying attention, you might miss it. You know what? You know who God calls? Not always the smartest. Not always the brightest, but he is looking to call people who are doing something with what they have. If you're sitting around waiting for God to, you know, I'm waiting for God to do this, and God wants you to do something with what you've been given, and then God will work from there. They are mending their nests. You know what they're doing essentially? The last thing that they know to do that is right. You want God's calling in your life? Do that. But I want you to notice that these men are fishermen, and they're all part of the Lord's inner circle. Look at Mark chapter 13. Mark 13, Peter, James, and John become the inner three. Mark, You know what? I guarantee you, I guarantee you, knowing the nature of Judas and the politician that he was, I know it's not recorded in Scripture, but I, I, I'd, I'd like to know when I get to heaven if Judas ever had a conversation with any of the disciples that went like this. Don't you think it's strange that he keeps asking those three to hang out with him more intimately? How come he chooses them and not us? That's the nature of Judas. Jesus Christ had a reason for picking those men aside. Now, you know what we do as people go, well, it's not fair. He needs to make it equal. He gave everyone equal. Let me just say this. This is, this is something for you Americans to get a hold of. Equal opportunity does not mean equal outcome. Because not everybody takes that opportunity and has the same outcome. All right? Uh, I'm not saying this from a political standpoint. I'm saying this from a biblical standpoint. You can have two kids raised in the same church. And one despises everything they're given, and when they're 18, they're gone. And you have one kid that goes, thank God I got this from an early age. I'm going to do something with it. I'm going to serve God with it. I'm going to marry right. I'm going to get my kids in church. I'm going to serve God. And they, they why? And some of them can be in the same family. You say, what is that? It just goes to show you that equal opportunity. He gave all the disciples the same chance. You're going to tell me he didn't give Judas the same chance? He even gave Judas a chance right up to the very end. He says, that which thou doest, do quickly. Wink, wink. No one else knows what they're talking about but Jesus and Judas. You know what that tells me? 
That tells me he's going, hey, look, I know what you're up to. That was Judas's chance to repent, and he didn't take it. All right? Now look at Mark 13, Mark 13, and look, if you would, at verse number 1. And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he said upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, watch it, Peter and James and John and Andrew were picked because they're just so much better than the other disciples. Uh Uh-uh. You know what they did first? They asked him. They asked him. So you know what the Lord does? He reveals. Now look, this is the same passage as Mark, uh, Matthew 24. The, re- the, 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 the insight that Jesus gives to his disciples about the great tribulation, the end of the world, and all that stuff. Do you know who asked him? Peter, James, John, and Andrew. So you know what he does? He gives them information, and the other disciples get the blessed overflow, and they get some of that information as well. But here's what I want you to understand. It's not just that Jesus Christ had his favorites. They had a hunger and a desire to know things that some of the other disciples did not express. You want to get more from God? You know what you do? Spend more time with him. Spend more time inquiring, Lord, why isn't it that I'm getting this? Why is it I'm having a hard time with this? Lord, I want to know your mind on this, not my thoughts, not my husband's thoughts. God, what do you say about this, God? I want to know what, what is right from you. Listen, if you do that, God will show you. <laughs> Matter of fact, look at Matthew 17. Let me show you Matthew 17. We'll wrap it up. Matthew 17. We'll come back to this thought next Sunday. Matthew 17. Matthew 17. Look, if you would, at verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and who? And bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. Those are the three disciples that get in on seeing the glory of Jesus Christ like he's going to look when he comes back to establish his kingdom. Those three. Well, why is that? Well, I think there's a precedent in the Bible that those three are a little bit more inquisitive than some of the other disciples were. You want to see more of God? Be willing to ask more of God. Be willing to inquire more. Be willing to dig more. All right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this thought as we close. John, and we'll dig into the scriptures on it later on. John is known as the other disciple, and he's known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, look at John chapter 21, and we'll close. John 21. And then next week, what we'll do is we'll actually get into chapter 1, verse 1, verse by verse. <laughs> Some of you are like, how long, how long is this gospel going to take? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, John 21, look if you would, at uh, verse number uh, 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following. That would be John which also leaned on his breast at supper, John 13, we saw it earlier, and said, Lord, who is, which is that betrayeth thee? Peter, saying, uh, seeing him, saith to Jesus, and Lord, what shall this man do? Now, there's a great lesson here. Great lesson. Christian, don't worry about what God's doing in someone else's life. Let God handle that. You worry about what God's doing in your life. All right? All right? It, it says, what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren. Oh, did you hear what I heard? I heard that Jesus is going to, John's going to live for 2,000 years. No, that's not what Jesus said. 
Uh, look, look at verse 23. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that this disciple should not die. He didn't say that. That's not what he said. Yet Jesus said not to him, he shall not die, but that if I, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? You say, well, how did he tarry till he came? Revelation. John gets the revelation of Jesus' coming that the other disciples don't get. So he got to live to see that at the age of 90 on the island of Patmos in exile, uh, 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 suffering for Jesus Christ. Look at verse 24. This is what I want you to get right here. This is the disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Isn't that good? We know that his testimony is true. Let's all stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the gospel of John. Thank you for the insight from your words. And God, I pray that you would uh, impress upon us, Lord, childlike faith. Lord, help us to believe what you've given us. Lord, not just to believe it, but Lord, to accept it in our hearts and to live it out. God, to not accept it as intellectual truth, but as applied truth. God, that you, you might work these things out in our lives. God, Thank you for the example of John, Lord, someone that by the world standards would probably be the last candidate to get all the, the revelation and the information that he got, and yet you gave it to him, which gives me great hope, Lord. I, uh, I'm not the brightest. I'm not the smartest. I am the base. I am the things which are despised and the things which are cast off. But Lord, you, you've chosen me and you've chosen these in this room to follow you. And God, we're thankful for that. We pray that you might lead and guide us in all truth of the Holy Spirit throughout the rest of this day, throughout the rest of this week. God, we love you, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We'll take a break, right?